Hi guys, it's Claire and this is the Coached by Claire podcast. If you want some company in your pursuit of a healthier, stronger, fitter you, then you've come to the right place. Strap in for stories about my own journey and useful education about how you can improve your health and achieve the goals you've always wanted. Hey pals, welcome to episode 55. In this one, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the things that you don't need for fat loss and the things that you do need for fat loss. The internet at the moment is a place of great confusion, I think, when it comes to fat loss and dieting and improving your health. Um, And I probably will have touched on some of these things before, but I just feel like it's important to dedicate a whole episode to them because there's just so much out there. And particularly at the moment, I feel like there's a lot of podcasts that are having quote unquote, like health professionals or, you know, doctors um, on that are talking about things that actually like you really don't need and also things that are taken way out of context. So without further ado, let's dive on in. The first thing that I want to talk about is fat burners or fat burning pills. And what you need to know about these are that when you see people influencers on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, wherever it is, advertising these in their stories, in their posts, in their reels, they are being paid to advertise those things. So they have a vested interest in you spending your money on this stuff off the back of their content that they're creating about it. They're gonna either be paid a commission or they're gonna be getting free stuff in return. And fat burners don't actually help you burn more fat necessarily. What they do do is slightly increase your body temperature in order to up your metabolism slightly. So increase the amount of energy that you need to survive in a day. And one of the main ingredients in fat burners is something you will all have probably on a daily basis. And that is caffeine. And that's because caffeine is a thermogenic. So thermogenesis is just the way that our body produces heat. And thermogenic ingredients like caffeine will increase the amount of heat that your body produces and therefore you will expend more calories. So when you see like fat burning pills and other things like that, please be aware that you just don't need to waste your money on silly things like that, which may make a difference, but they're gonna be a really small difference. And actually, if you want to make that difference, you can just consume caffeine, which you probably do anyway. And this is a good example of, like most of you listening will probably have caffeine every day, if not at least a few times a week. And probably a lot of you listening are people who want to lose fat, who want to improve your health and fitness. And you will see that just by consuming caffeine, it doesn't automatically mean that you're going to magically be able to burn all of your excess body fat that you don't want. There is much more to it, which I will come to later in the podcast. So although yes, caffeine is a thermogenic and it can help you, it alone is not going to get you the results that you want, just like fat burning pills alone won't get you the results that you want. And instead of wasting your money on 
fat burners, just buy some really nice coffee. The second thing that I wanted to talk about was apple cider vinegar. And I see this all the time on Instagram and TikTok. And I'm guessing that some of you guys might as well. But it's become quite a trendy thing, I think, to like do a shot of apple cider vinegar in the morning before you eat. So what is apple cider vinegar? What does it do? What's the research behind it? So apple cider vinegar is a vinegar. It's an acidic substance. And there is research that shows that consuming acidic stuff like apple cider vinegar or lemon juice with carbohydrates can actually reduce your glycemic response to that food. Therefore meaning that your blood sugar will spike slightly less after eating those carbohydrates. But interestingly, something else that also reduces the glycemic response or the glycemic index of foods is fiber. So if you include more fiber in your diet, you will have uh, a similar result. Now, the thing with apple cider vinegar is that although it is shown to do this, you would need a hell of a lot of apple cider vinegar to elicit this response. And there are so many reasons why you absolutely wouldn't want to be consuming apple cider vinegar every day, particularly large amounts of apple cider vinegar. So things like the fact that it's fucking disgusting. Secondly, it's really bad for your teeth. Like it will erode your teeth enamel like there's no tomorrow. And thirdly, it can also be really bad for your esophagus as well. If you're regularly having something very acidic, your esophageal tissues are quite delicate. And so it can yeah, just damage your esophageal tissues, which isn't great at all. So apple cider vinegar, do you need it? Fucking no. Should you take it? Absolutely not. Is it going to do anything if you do take it? Probably not because you're never going to take it in the amounts that it would actually do anything. And there are other things that you can do instead, like increase the fiber in your diet. The third thing I'm going to touch on is intermittent fasting. So I see this quite a lot on the internet. I get like adverts for apps that you can go on and you can like take a quiz and it'll tell you what your intermittent fasting ratio should be in order for you to lose the body fat that you need to lose. And this is just such a load of bullshit. So it'll say like 12, 12, 16, eight. So meaning that like you, you fast for 12 hours, you eat for 12 hours, you fast for 16 hours and then you have an eight hour eating window. Um, I've seen one that's like, I think I've seen one that's like, fasting for 20 hours and eating for four hours. So the first thing to note about this is that if someone's telling you to fast for 12 hours and then have an eating window of 12 hours, most of us do that anyway, because most of us will have our last meal maybe around seven or eight at night and then have breakfast at like seven or eight in the morning. So that's not fasting. That's just living your life and going to bed and sleeping at night. Now, obviously there are occasions where that's gonna be different, right? Like if you go out and you have a late meal or if you have to get up really early and you have a really early meal, but like for the most part, we all fucking fast for 12 hours overnight. So first of all, that's bullshit. Second of all, fasting itself is not gonna cause you to lose fat. Like if you're fasting, but you're still eating over and above your maintenance calories, you're not going to lose any body fat. Fasting can be a tool that you can use in order to reduce the amount of calories that you eat. Because if you shorten your eating window, there's less time for you to eat more calories. 
And some people like it because it puts a bit of like rigidity and discipline in place for them. Like, right, okay, I can't eat after six o'clock in the evening. So therefore I'm not going to, I can't eat before 11 a.m. in the morning. So therefore you don't and you, and you stick to that. And so that like naturally reduces your calorie intake. But what I don't like about fasting is that people can again, become obsessive about it. And like, if your friends invite you out for brunch at half past 10, but you're like, oh, well, I'm not allowed to eat till 12 o'clock, so I can't go. Like, that's just really fucking stupid. You can diet and lose fat and still enjoy your life at the same time and still go for your fr- go for brunch with your friends at 10.30 in the morning without completely ruining your progress. Intermittent fasting is not a necessity for losing body fat. And it's also not a necessity. I've seen and heard this on podcasts recently it's also not a necessity for your hormone health if you are having good sleep and you have a well-balanced diet that includes a variety of different whole foods fruit and veg nice amount of protein beans pulses that sort of thing you get in enough exercise and you do something like resistance training your hormone health is probably going to be fine and you definitely don't need something like intermittent fasting to make it better and the last thing that you don't need I mean that my list is longer than this, but I'm gonna stop here. But the last thing that you don't need is a continuous glucose monitor. If you are not type two or type one diabetic, you do not need a continuous glucose monitor. Yes, if you're diabetic, of course you absolutely need it. If you are not diabetic, it is absolutely useless information. What it does is scaremonger people about your body's normal response to eating different types of foods. So the premise behind the continuous glucose monitor is that you can see which foods make your blood sugar spike and and therefore promotes the insulin response in order to deal with that glucose. But you don't need to know that because that's your body's normal physiological mechanisms metabolizing and digesting your food appropriately to keep you alive the scaremongering comes in when people talk about insulin spikes and when your insulin spikes it prevents your body from using fat as energy and that is true in that in that immediate response to the food that you've eaten your glucose spikes up and your insulin comes up to meet that, to deal with the glucose. And while your insulin is dealing with that glucose, it's stopping your body from using fat because it needs to deal with the glucose, with the energy that you've just given it. But that doesn't mean that it stops your body from burning fat all day. It doesn't mean that you'll never be able to lose fat or use fat for energy. That's just absolutely ridiculous. If you didn't have insulin, you would be in a real predicament. And there are people that don't have insulin. Type one diabetics don't have insulin. And in order to live and actually survive, they have to inject insulin every day, multiple times a day. So your insulin response to a spike in glucose is not something that you need to worry about if you're not diabetic. And I think these continuous glucose monitors have just created this like fear around eating shit that's got sugar in it. I follow this girl on Instagram and 
she's got quite a lot of followers, a few hundred thousand followers. And uh, she's not somebody I would usually follow. Like I would never usually follow somebody that has promoted or promotes this sort of thing. But there's just something about her that I find fascinating. And the messaging and what she gives out is just so wrong. I feel like I have to follow her to almost like keep an eye on it. I don't know, it it sounds really weird, but I just, anyway, I follow her on Instagram and she for a long time was keto for one reason or another so not eating carbs and she had a a continuous glucose monitor for quite some time I don't know if she's still got one or not but she had one for ages and she got so obsessed with looking at what her blood sugars were doing that she was cutting things out of her diet like strawberries pretty much all fruit she cut out of her diet because she was like well it makes my blood sugar spike well yeah because it's it's fruit it's fructose that it's sugar like it's not bad sugar, sugar's not bad for you, glucose is not bad for you, glucose is our primary energy source, and without any glucose at all, we'd probably feel a bit shit, like we could survive without it, it's not a necessity that we absolutely have it, but our bodies certainly function in a more optimal way with it, so please don't buy in to the 24-hour glucose monitor thing and scare yourself away from eating fruit because the benefits and the nutrients and the vitamins that you get from eating fruit and also the enjoyment because fruit is really fucking tasty like I ate a punnet of strawberries yesterday and it was delicious far outweigh anything bad that fruit could do for you like fruit is not bad for you fruit is really good for you and when you see people on social media scaremongering you away from eating things that are fruit or vegetables then you know that you need to scroll on by and not take any notice. So now that I've covered a few things that you absolutely don't need for fat loss, I'm gonna talk about a few things that would be really beneficial for fat loss. And the first one is 10,000 steps a day. And I hear, I've heard recently a few kind of more well-known people in the fitness industry talking about like 10K steps and is it really necessary that it's pushed out on everybody and this, that, and the other. But actually, like, there is a lot of research that shows that, like, 8,000 steps a day is really, really beneficial. And if you can push that up a bit more, then why not? Like, more movement isn't going to hurt you. If you were doing 20,000 steps a day, just naturally, and you were like, well, I want to try and get to 25, I might be like, well, weigh up, weigh up the cost of that to you because... 20,000 steps is a hell of a lot of steps a day. And if you're pushing up to 25, like, are you just gonna make yourself really tired? Do you have time for that? Are you gonna increase your hunger beyond a point that like, it's then really difficult to say no to stuff? Um, But if you're somebody who does like 2,000 steps a day and you have a very sedentary lifestyle, aiming for 10,000 steps a day is a really lovely number. It's a really nice amount of movement that is gonna really benefit your basic metabolic health and just while we're on the subject of steps something that's actually really good for um reducing insulin resistance so obviously i was just talking about the continuous glucose monitor um if you are type 2 diabetic if you are a menopausal woman if you have pcos anything like that postprandial walking so walking after you've eaten particularly i think after your evening meal can actually help increase your insulin sensitivity 
and therefore is super, super beneficial. So in the evening, that's the meal that we're most likely to eat and then just immediately take to the sofa afterwards, right? But if you can go out and even if it's like 10 or 20 minutes around the block, that's gonna help you massively like on a metabolic level, on a basic health level. So not necessarily help you burn more fat, but most certainly be really beneficial for your organs and um, yeah, how you're metabolizing your food, your insulin, that sort of thing. So yeah, I would say 10K steps a day for everybody. If 10K is really unrealistic for you as a person, aiming for something like 8,000 steps a day is absolutely fine. But the less sedentary you can be overall, the better. So that's why I like the 10K steps. The next thing that you can do is rather than worrying about specific food groups that are really not harmful to you at all and cutting them out completely, i.e. doing keto and cutting out carbs completely or going really, really, really low fat, why don't you take a focus on eating as much nutrient dense foods as possible and reducing your ultra processed food intake because that is gonna have massive health benefits for you and will likely just naturally reduce your calorie intake. Nutrient dense foods tend to be lower in calories and higher in volume, so they're gonna keep you satiated for longer. Whereas ultra processed foods are going to be probably slightly higher in calories for less food volume. And also ultra processed foods have got, you know, the chemicals and all of the rest of it in them that are not particularly great for us and can also increase your risk of different types of diseases. If you look at the World Health Organization website, they have got a list of like foods on there that are that could possibly cause things like cancer. Um, and a lot of ultra processed meats and stuff are on there. So yeah, instead of like cutting out whole food groups completely and never eating fruit again, because you're worried about spiking your glucose, think about what you're overall diet looks like and try and focus on nutrient dense foods and reducing the amount of ultra processed foods you eat that doesn't mean that you can never eat a chicken nugget ever again but if you're eating them for four meals a week maybe reduce that down to one meal a week so sleep is another really important thing for health and fitness and fat loss now it's not that anything particularly like crazy magical happens when you're asleep. Although when you sleep, your body does do a lot of the repair and growth when you've caused damage to your muscles in a training session. It's normal to cause damage to your muscles in a training session, that's what we're aiming to do. You cause like little micro tears in the muscle and then through the processes that your body goes through by fueling yourself with enough protein and then enough fuel, etc., your body will repair those micro tears in the muscle by growing new muscle. So that's how muscle growth happens. And a lot of that happens while you're asleep. But in terms of like fat loss, it's not, as I said, it's not that anything like particularly magical happens while you're asleep, but being sleep deprived will massively affect your behavior. Now there is some research that shows if you have chronically high levels of cortisol, so cortisol is one of our stress hormones and when we are sleep deprived, we tend to have slightly higher levels of cortisol. If you have chronically higher levels, so long-term high levels of cortisol, that can impact your body's ability 
to burn fat. But if it's like a one-off now and again, it's not going to impact you. And actually when you exercise, you release cortisol. It's a normal stress response. And so in that instance, like it doesn't affect your body's ability to burn fat and use energy, but it's chronically high levels. And if someone is chronically sleep deprived, you are likely to have higher levels of cortisol. But I don't want people to get hung up on cortisol. What you should focus on is just trying to have good sleep hygiene. So things like making sure that you go to bed at a reasonable time so that you know that you're hopefully going to have enough hours in bed to get enough sleep for you. I'm not going to sit here and suggest that you should be having, you know, eight hours of sleep every night because everyone's different and some people will function really well off maybe six hours of sleep and other people might not function particularly well off eight hours, maybe they need ten. We're all different and I think getting too hung up on the specifics doesn't help but there are some really simple things that you can do to improve your sleep hygiene. So things like not using your phone or any blue light for at least half an hour before you go to bed. Um, So like I'm having a bit of a battle with my husband at the moment. It's not a battle, but like I really want to take the TV out of our bedroom. I don't particularly like having it in there. Um, We will turn it on in the morning when we wake up, if we wake up early and we'll like watch half an hour of the news and try and catch the weather before we get out of bed. But I don't like watching TV in bed at night because I feel like it just disturbs me. And I don't know if this is because as a child, I never had, I was never allowed a television in my bedroom ever. And actually when I was a child, I hated my parents for that. I was like, oh, this is so unfair. You know, like I, all of my friends had TVs in their room and I couldn't understand why I wasn't allowed one. But actually, so mum, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for never allowing us to have television in our bedroom because I, yeah, I actually don't like having a TV in my room now and I can see and understand all of the reasons why my parents didn't want me to have one. Like it would have been likely very disruptive to sleep. And I'm not saying like, you know, if you're a parent and you're listening to this and your kid's got a TV in their room, like that's fine, that's up to you. Um, But I know the type of person I am and I would have been wanting to watch that TV all the time and it probably would have done no good for me. So I am thankful that that was a rule in our house. So I've never had a television in my bedroom until I've lived with a guy or someone else who's wanted to have one. Um, So for example, Sean wants to have a TV in our room. And at first I was like, yeah, that's fine. You know, like no problems, but probably maybe over the last like six months or so, I found it like increasingly annoying. So I'm on a little bit of a mission to try and get the TV out of our bedroom. And I don't know how I'm gonna get to get there yet. Cause it's something that I think he feels quite strongly about that he wants it in there. And I'm all about compromise. Um, So yeah, we'll see. But getting the TV out of your room, if you can, is likely gonna help you because you're immediately gonna remove that distraction that you would usually like just get into bed and stick on the TV and maybe fall asleep with the TV on in the background because it might be that it helps you or you think it helps you fall asleep but actually it's probably going to stop you from sleeping as deeply as you might do without it. 
So getting rid of any blue light for about half an hour before you go to bed, maybe, maybe reading a chapter of a book before you go to bed, maybe having a bath or something before you get into bed, like create yourself a little bedtime routine that you do, a little ritual, maybe have a herbal tea, a hot chocolate, whatever it is. And that helps your body to recognize like, okay, it's time to wind down now. I'm gonna go to sleep soon, that sort of thing. Um, and the other thing that you can do, which I quite like to do now, so it does involve briefly looking at your phone, is to listen to a sleep meditation. Now there are apps, free apps, totally free, you don't have to pay anything for them, which provide you with loads, like literally thousands of different types of meditation. And I use an app called Insight Timer which has thousands of options on it for listening to different types of meditations. And there are meditations just dedicated to sleep. There are ones for helping you fall into a deep sleep. There are ones for helping you have a, like a power nap in the day, which I sometimes use before I go to my night shifts. But I find these quite helpful. And I do think that they A, help me fall asleep, and B, I'm sure that they help me sleep more deeply and more peacefully. I, I genuinely think that they work. I don't know what the scientific studies and research are on sleep meditation, but I definitely like it. And if you didn't wanna do something like that, you could um, do like a little yoga flow, like a five minute little sleep yoga flow or something. You'll be able to find it easily on YouTube before you go to bed. Now, again, obviously these things might involve like looking at your screen for a little bit, which obviously contradicts what I've just said, but on your phone, I, at nine o'clock every night, my phone goes to night shift mode, which is where it filters out most of the blue light from the phone. And I also have blue light glasses that I wear. So if I need to look at my phone before I'm going to bed, it's on night shift mode and I'm wearing my blue light glasses. So I'm trying to counteract as much of that blue light as possible. But setting yourself a bedtime routine and making sure that your sleep hygiene is good is going to massively positively impact what you are able to do following your night's sleep. So when you're sleep deprived, you are gonna be hungrier. You're going to want to reach for the food more. You're probably going to be slightly more irrational and that's absolutely fine. And I don't think um, being irrational is like a bad thing. I know it's talked about quite a lot that like women, oh, they're emotional and irrational. Like, no, we're not. We just feel our feelings and that's it. But sometimes I know I am irrational about stuff and it's usually when I'm really sleep deprived. And so when I'm really tired, it's very difficult for me to be able to say no to things that other times I might usually be fine saying no to. And also it's much more easy to get into that mindset of like, oh fuck it, I just don't care. Like I'm too tired to care, so I don't care. So working on your sleep and making sure that you have good quality sleep as well as a good length of sleep for you is super important. So I think that concludes the podcast for today. There are many more things I could go on to waffle on about, but I'm gonna leave it there because we're long enough already. I think this is maybe one of the longest podcasts I've done so far. Um, but if you found this helpful, I would love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to hear your thoughts about any of the stuff that I said not to do at the beginning, the fat burners, the apple cider vinegar, the continuous glucose monitor. If anyone has experience with those, please don't hesitate to get in touch with me. If you think that coaching could be helpful for you, I have two coaching 
options. I have got one-to-one coaching, which is my highest level of support that I give to my clients. You basically get 24 hour, seven day a week, not 24 hour, but seven day a week um, access to me. And I will help you with everything that you could possibly think of when it comes to health and fitness and fat loss. Or you can join my group coaching program. The second round of this is launching on the 14th of August. It's going to be great. The first round has been such a huge success. The guys have loved it. They've been in a WhatsApp group together. It's such a lovely little community. So if you think that you'd like the community vibes a bit more than the one-to-one, then let me know. You can get in touch with me via Instagram at coached underscore by underscore Claire, or you can visit my website, coachedbyclaire.com. And as always, Claire is without the eye. Big love. I will see you in the next episode.